Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, we're doing uh, something a little different this week as... Uh... We have decided to finally uh, put our money where our mouths are, sort of speaking. As uh, if you follow myself and John Fraser and John Hodge on Twitter a little bit, we do uh, we do enjoy talking about the curling a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. we've kind of developed our own little hashtag over the last couple of years called hashtag Eight End Nation, and uh, we decided, well, why don't we actually get together? I guess online get together, not actually get together in the same room. That'd be a little too weird. And uh, talk a little bit about some curling. So this is the first of hopefully many to come in over the years. We're probably just going to keep it to about one a year or so for the 8 End Nation podcast with myself, John Fraser, and of course also of 3 Down Nation, uh, John Hodge. Boys, how's it going today? Really good. Just uh, actually uh, last night was at a Briar send-off event for Team Saskatchewan. So uh, they brought cake and um, some drinks and some shots. So needless to say, I'm not biased at all. <laughs> I'm doing well, boys. I uh, I love curling. My two sports are, are football and curling. It's a weird combination. I know. Uh, fun story, the first time I met our fearless leader at Three Down Nation, Drew Edwards, was the 2015 Grey Cup. We were at an event. There were NBA uh, highlights on the screen. And he's like, hey, you a basketball fan? And I was like, no, I, I love the CFL and curling. And that's pretty much it. And he looks at me and he's like, you Manitoban. Well, I, I can back up the story a little bit, too, because last year at uh, CFL Week, it was uh, me, you, uh, Dunk, and Drew all in the same house there in Winnipeg, I, I, and uh, we put on the curling one night, and Drew and Dunk were like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, it's, it's the, I think it was the Briar was on then. I was like, it's the Briar. Like, we're going to watch this. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, it was Women's World. It was, it was the Women's World, world. right, we right. Were watching, and I, I distinctly remember that, because we put it on. We both wanted to watch it. And they were laughing at us, and Dunk wanted to watch some of like the pre-NFL combine stuff. And I'm like, look, we don't have to watch a future fourth-round pick, you know, throw football and see what targets on the field. Like, let's 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 watch the curling. And of course, by you know the 30-minute mark or whatever, they were just as invested as we were. They're not curling fans per se, but there are only two types of people: people who love curling and people who just don't know that they love curling yet. So that's, it's that's true. Fine. It's true. But I have like, a, I, I have a new bro crush. For you, John Hodge, uh, a local Saskatoon product. His name's Ryland Clyder. Not only is he the junior champion for the province of Saskatchewan multiple times over, but he's also one of the star hilltop Saskatoon hilltops of the Canadian Junior Football League star receiver and kicker. So he not only <laughs> plays football at a high level, but he curls at a very high level. So I feel like that's your new bro crush. And with my love of football and curling, that's what I'm trying to trying to mold my kids to be max is entering his first year of football coming up here in the spring 
and hopefully we'll be into curling by the fall. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it happen. I'm brainwashing them early. That's awesome. And, and I'll say this. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know as much about curling, at least on the, let's call it the professional level, uh, nearly to the extent that I follow the CFL. The CFL, I follow 12 months a year, talk to people. Curling, I very much simply enjoy as a fan. That said, I, uh, I, I love it. I'm really passionate. I watch the Scotties and the Briar every year. Every draw that I can, I got up at 7.30 a.m. Manitoba time uh, all of last week to to catch as much of the morning draws as I could. Even Saturday and Sunday, I got up at 7.30. Some of the some of the matchups weren't even good, but I still got up because <laughs> I love it. Scotty's got to love it. And the Briar being in Brandon, Manitoba this year, I'm fortunate enough I'm going to be able to make it out to some of the draws. So that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're far more dedicated than I, because I generally miss uh, every morning draw of every Scotties and Briars and Worlds and whatever else happens to be going on, because that is far too early for me. But Haji, you did say it was weird that it's a football curling, you know, love affair, but I really, I don't really don't think it is, especially out west. I think, especially in the CFL community, if you follow some of the other uh, CFL fans on Twitter, some of the prominent ones, there is actually, I think, a lot of crossover between. CFL fans and curling fans, and you would think maybe because it skews a little older, but some of the people on Twitter that I follow are uh, not exactly the gray-haired folks either, and uh, they're into curling as well, so I, I don't think it's quite as weird as you might think it is. Maybe, you know, maybe to Ontarians it is, but uh, out this way, it's I, I think there's definitely a big crossover between CFL fans and curling fans in this country. I, I would I agree. Think, I think there's a nice kind of yin and yang with curling and football, just as far as the calendar goes, I mean, CFL season, for instance, you know, kind of starts kicking up in, in May. Uh, who knows? Randy Ambrosi may one day have us playing a regular season game on April Fool's Day, but but we'll see. That that might be uh, some time down the road. Um, but for now, you know, it kicks off in May, and then the end of November comes the Great Cup. And then, uh, you know, your first spiels kind of start kicking up in December, and then things really hit their stride in the new year and so from a calendar perspective i'm not a hockey guy i've never been a hockey guy nothing against hockey it's just never been my thing never played it don't watch it um you know to me to me that makes sense the thing that i think catches people off guard is just physically the games are you know almost you know as different as different could be they are polar Mm -hmm. opposites in in regards to the number of players, the style of play, the physicality. Um, there are probably some some curlers who could hold their own on a football field. That said, um, the games themselves, as much as they're different, I think the strategy mm-hmm. um, and the importance of the strategy has some uh, has some uh, some similarities between the two. And I think the calendar really helps. You know, uh, uh, be a fan of both because when the CFL is is, you know, in the off-season, curling kicks up, and, and vice versa. It works well. Absolutely. And so we're, we're going to get into a few things in this. Uh, we definitely have to talk about the, the final at the Scotties, which I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around what exactly happened in yeah. that game because I, I was texting both of you guys during that game, and it should have been in the bag, and it wasn't. And it's one of those games that we're going to remember for a long time. Uh, we're going to touch on uh, the just the overall format and how it's doing now in year two for the Scotties and the Briar with the pools and, and the different uh, rounds and all that going on. And then we'll look ahead to the Briar a little bit where uh, John will, John Fraser, of course, because I'm between two Johns, will have his uh, <laughs> famous hot take that is sure to be wrong, but there is a twist on this one that might actually make him right because uh, 
He has been right before following this method. But uh, as we like Woo-hoo. to do on the three down green cast, um, we like to enjoy a little beverage while we do this. So uh, we'll start with the incumbent, uh, Fraser. What's in the glass this week? Well, uh, and this will also go towards my tease as to who's going to be one of my Briar playoff picks. I'm going with a Fort Gary Dark. Um, one of my introductions and my first love of craft beer was when I got introduced to Fort Gary uh, during a family visit in Winnipeg. Of course, I have family in Winnipeg. I am originally from northern Ontario. Again, more biases that I have when talking Briar. Um, but Fort Gary Dark... Um, for a guy that's not a big stout fan, this one's a little lighter than a stout, but still has a similar taste like one, which I like. I don't like feeling like I'm chewing on my beer. But this gives me a nice, you know, a dark stout coffee-like taste without making me, you know, have a second supper tonight. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, Haji, you got anything? Uh, I got nothing, but I, I did moments before... Uh, firing up uh, the pod, I, I had a wonderful slice of uh, sourdough bread that oh, uh, yeah. did remind me of some of the rich tasting beverages that uh, that John was describing. So no, nothing in the glass, but I had something on the plate, and in my book, that's 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 pretty solid too. We're we're we're, good. we're three fat guys around a table here, so it's 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 all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll accept food for sure. <laughs> For me, uh, I guess they're not technically sponsoring this podcast, but uh, Pile of Bones Red Ale, just uh, really, you know, it's nice, easy-drinking, caramelly kind of red beer that uh, just tastes great year-round pretty much with anything. And so with that, we'll turn our attention back to the Scotties now, and what a final that was. And we're going to get oh, into yeah. kind of the whole tournament as a whole, but... I mean, I, I just can't believe it because there was the tweet late in the game. Curling Canada sends out, you know, how you doing, Curling fans? And there's the gif of Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, like, you know, hyperventilating into a bag because it was a one-point game and it was so tight and everything. But I was like, oh, come on. Homan's up one with the hammer coming home, even though she's kind of been slipping a little bit. At the end of the day, she's still going to pull this off, and she didn't. And no, no. <laughs> she didn't. And she was up five one at the fifth end break, which is like astronomical lead in curling, especially for probably the best defensive team in the world, no matter which side of the sport we're talking about. And yeah. it got away from her. And I, I just, I still just quite frankly, can't believe it. No, and I'm with you, Joel. I, I, I think uh, the funny thing is, it's just reading back in my text from that night, one of my group chats I'm in, is actually a curling fan club, and then, of course, talking to you like I do all the time. Um, I think at 5-1, I got many separate texts saying, okay, this one's over. It's over. It's done. And then same thing. Even you and I were texting about, and, and you know, I, I thought Chelsea Carey did a great job in just coming back to make it close on the scoreboard at the end, but I had the same thought as you. You texted me, Joel, and I said to you, and we were like, yeah, well, you know anything about curling? You've got Holman up one with, even if Carey steals one here, Holman is tied with in the extra. It's not going to happen. And holy crap, were we wrong? It just it 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 seems to, much like at the Olympics in the big moment, you know this new look Rachel Holman team, and they talked about it all week, almost at nauseum. You know, oh now they can draw. She's a better drawer. They're gone away from the hits and yakety yakety yak. But when it came up, when it was go time, it was still, okay, she's got a draw. She had two draws the forefoot for the win. Yeah. 
complete, but completely wide her. open draws too. It's not like they were difficult draws to make for someone of her skill level to have to bite half of the four. You know, you say all of them should be able to do that with their eyes closed, frankly. Oh, absolutely. But again, the position, and you have to give to me a ton of credit to Chelsea Carey, who I know gets beat up on a lot. You know, I think to get themselves back into that game, to not give up after being down 5-1, and to force Rachel, the shots they made in both the 10th and 11th, to force Rachel Holman not into a touch the paint and you win... To force her into two draws of the four, like a lot of credit has to go to that. Because how many tenth and eleventh ends have we seen, boys, where it's touch paint, win game, and instead it's oh boy, you got to draw half of the four. So I was entertained. I loved the final. I do think the best team all week one. Um, I think all three of us could agree it was going to be carrying Holman from day one. I would have put money on that. Um, and I would have given you odds for anybody else, uh, but uh, I think the best team in the N one, and and good on Chelsea Carey for fighting back in that. The uh, the thing that that boggled my mind a little bit in the final was that fourth end that quickly was was becoming a disaster for Chelsea Carey's team, uh, which uh, which only got worse, and I, I think really hit uh, you know panic levels when uh, there there was a miss. Uh, followed by Ontario coming down, getting the three. And uh, at that point, as you said, Gas, it's it's 5-1. Uh, and Alberta gets one. And at the break, you know, if you give Rachel Holman a three-point lead, followed by, you know, the hammer, uh, you're, you're in trouble. And I, I like you guys said the game was done. And Chelsea Carey, it, it never felt like this because there were so many opportunities for Rachel Holman to make a shot that we're accustomed to seeing her make and just seal it off. But Chelsea Carey stole four times. Which is yeah, unbelievable. Four steals, which as anybody who follows curling knows, is, uh, you know, you're lucky to steal on a Rachel Holman one time in a game. Yeah. Stealing four times is, is crazy. And the other thing I'll also highlight is the fact that all week, the, uh, the people actually in Sydney... Uh, of course, the commentators, who, who I think do a great job, uh, Russ Howard, uh, Cheryl Bernard, and of course, uh, everybody loves Vic, uh, Vic Browder, who does the, uh, you know, the hosting uh, on, on TSN. Uh, they, they talked all week about how it was hitter's ice. This is straight ice. It's unpredictable. Some of the weights, you know, depending on where you catch the sheet, can be, can be hard to predict. And so, therefore, you know, it, it's hitter's ice. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that to me even just makes it further – uh, 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 or further unbelievable that Kerry was able to steal four times in the second half of the game. Um, if the game's going to be open, if the game's going to be hit-friendly, the last thing you expect to see are a ton of rocks in play and steals happening. You, you expect to see more open play. You expect to see a lot of singles. You expect to see, you know, um, anyways, j- just blew my mind. Yeah, well, and we, we saw Rachel's approach because I believe it was in one of the ends late in the game. She had a double that she could have attempted, and in her previous life, she probably would have attempted. Instead, she went for the draw, which was, in theory, maybe the easier shot. And and some people talked about that, and I know there was some talk on Twitter about, you know, are they going to stick with this kind of this new philosophy of how they're going to approach the game? And even though it didn't really work out for Rachel Holman and her team this time, 
I think ultimately long-term, I hope they do. I hope they don't just take one week and a couple of bad draws for a reason to completely scrap what could be a winning formula down the road if they're able to figure it out. I don't, it's a bit of a small sample size at this point. So I hope that if they believe that this is something that they can do and it's something that's going to help them take their game to the next level, if there there is one for them, frankly, that yeah. they stick with it. I, like I hope they're not so that's such a knee-jerk reaction to just say, okay, this didn't work, Marcel, Marcel Rock, see you later, we're going back to the way we were. I, I honestly, I hope they don't do that. No, I, and I would agree. I, I do like the fact, though, that, that, and I get it, Adam Kingsbury was a big part of their success before, you know, having a sports psychologist as a coach. Um, I could, I can definitely see the benefits in that, especially in such a mental game. But to bring in Marcel Rock, an actual curler, an actual curling coach, to work with you, to help you with your deliveries, to help you with your strategy, to really develop the strategy. To He took a look at the best women's team in the world outside of John Hodges' uh, ultimate crush, Jennifer Jones. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe of all time. Like, they're in the running for GOAT status here already. And he took them and went, okay, we're going to make you better, and this is how we're going to make you better. And that's something that only a curler could look at, could look at a team as dominant as Rachel Holman and go, yeah, okay, we're going to make you even better now, but we're going to do it this way. So I, I think it's, incur- I don't think we're going to see the knee-jerk reaction, Joel. I, I, I don't think so either. With, yeah, with, with Marcel Rock there, I think he's going to do what he's done for, for many Asian teams and just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a ton of success. And as soon as that draw game is down, is, is down and she can draw the open forefoot like, like we've seen again, to go back to Chelsea Carey, I, I, it, we've seen countless times Chelsea Carey find that draw weight in big moments over and over and over again. And if Rachel could draw as well as Chelsea, you know, what level does this team, does this team get to? Like, that's, that's it. Like they're already damn near unstoppable. And it's going to be scary to think what this one could continue to become. I agree. It's uh, obviously Rachel Holman at this point in her career with the team that she's been with for, for many, many, many years now. Joanne Courtney uh, hasn't been there as long, but even then she's now been there, I believe, four years. So it's a it's certainly a roster that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, proven on a world level. They're an Olympic roster. Uh, one thing I will highlight is the fact that, you know, Rachel Holman and her team did go to the Olympics mm-hmm. in 2018. Uh Obviously, we're very disappointed to not come home with the medal, something that was, I think, a big shock to a lot of people uh, in Canada. I think we take for granted the fact that we're going to medal in curling at the Olympics, regardless of who uh, who represents our country. I think that, uh, you know, any number of our teams, there are probably three or even four teams at the Scotties just at that one event who could probably win gold at the Olympics. And I think at the Briar, you could argue there's maybe six or seven who could go and win gold. Um, that said, despite the fact that she's probably the best women's team in the world, Rachel Holman's team did not go home with a medal. And I'm interested to see how they bounce back from this Scotty's loss. I'm not discrediting them in, in any way. They're a phenomenal team. They've been there, done that at the world stage. And again, making it to the Olympics is still a huge accomplishment, even if you don't medal. But the fact that they've now had two very disappointing finishes to two very large uh, national or international competitions, I think will, you know, it's going to be a storyline that falls them into the next one. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they bounce back. 
Yeah, it, and and plus, let's let's not forget, guys. It was a great Alberta Alberta final in the Scotties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course. We're, we're, we we had a very lengthy discussion about residency rules uh, before we went on uh, the on the air here a little bit, and it's probably not enough time really to get into that. And nothing's really going to change in the immediate future, so there's really not a whole lot of point to getting into that right now. But um, just has, just really good jokes. Just really good jokes. Yeah, but. There has been some change to the format, and this is now uh, year two for the Scotties and the Briar, going to these, uh, this two-pool system, Pool A, Pool B, and then the championship draw, and then, of course, the play, the page playoff on the weekend. And I think we can all agree last year, it started with a bit of a dud. There was a lot of blowouts, especially early in the week. Like, the preliminary round was not really entertaining at either the Scotties or the Briar. Yeah. And the championship round wasn't great either. I don't think in either per se. I don't remember that well, but I just remember I wasn't. I remember watching and being like, "Oh man, what have they done to this thing? It's just this is not good." But now we're waiting on to seeing what happens with the Briar this week. But based off what I saw at the Scotties this time in year two of this format, I'm like, okay, this is getting somewhere. There wasn't really there wasn't the barrage of blowouts that we saw. The championship round was pretty good. Every game was pretty tight. If there was a game on TV, odds are at least it wasn't like 14 nothing in the third end. So, is this going somewhere? Is this a format that is working for them? And I'm starting to lean toward yes. I know there are people out there who are upset that every team doesn't play every team. And I get that's how they've always done that. But at the same time, I'll say this. Number one, we decide in team sports, Olympic world champions with pool play. So I think we can decide a national champion without everyone playing everyone. Like, imagine the World Cup of Soccer. If everyone played everyone, that tournament would last, like, 40 <laughs> years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, they, it's just, I don't, think it, I don't think it really matters that much because I think at the end of the day, if you're one of the top four teams in Pool A, most years I'm pretty confident saying that you're probably better than probably the bottom four teams in the other pool, and I don't really need to watch you play them. Frankly. Yeah, and, and and I agree. I think the format now that I think everybody's kind of figured it out uh, is is a good working format um, for two reasons. Uh, uh, one, I like the analogy that Russ Howard actually used. He said it's just like golf. It's no different than golf. You play Thursday, you play Friday, you cut half the half the players, and away you go with your champions. Right? Um, I did like I, I do like thinking of it like that. You kind of cut the bottom feeders, and as well, I, I'm. <laughs> Maybe things are going to change down the road. I'm sure they will. Nobody needs to see Nunavut, especially in the Briar, play the likes of Northern Ontario, the wildcard team, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Canada. Nobody needs to see that bloodbath that many times. Like, some of these programs that are in the championship on both the men's and women's sides are just so far behind some of the other provinces. Like, let's let's cut the carnage. Nobody needs to see them play that many games to figure out yeah that's right none of it's still probably 20 years behind the rest of the country when it comes to curling development right so you you get rid of to me especially with the pool a pool b you get rid of a lot of your oh god this is going to be ugly why is this the tsn feature game games (laughs) and instead you basically you have those over the first two days and then it's kind of a nice success story if one of those underdog teams can pull out a huge upset i mean they're not going to maintain i mean the cream will still rise to the crop in in pool play but it is nice to see as a guy that's been on the other end that's been on both ends of some lopsided scores on the curling ice throughout my whole life um 
there's nothing worse than just getting overmatched sometimes and just not having your night. You just mm-hmm. want to get out of there, right? Give them the experience of the national championship. Let them come out and play. But you're right. They have no business playing on the weekend at this point. So let's cut them just like they do in golf. You don't want to see Tony Romo paired with Tiger Woods on a Sunday. So I, you know what? I'm a big fan of it, and I'm with you, Joel. I think especially in the women's game where I do think as a whole – your bottom to your top, with a couple exceptions, is a lot closer than it is right now in the men's game. So uh, I do think it'll continue to be entertaining. Like, again, looking into the briar, I think you have the pool of death, and then you have the pool of intrigue. In, in my book, the, the perfect Scotty's format would be uh, a full round robin of about 32 teams, and... That way you can start the tournament on like January 1st and then like crown your <laughs> on like April 30th, you know, like a four month. So we just, we, we, we cut out provincials and just do it March Madness style. Is that what you're saying? Essentially, but, but like March Madness, but with a full round Robin before you start. <laughs> Playoffs would be like, you know, your top 16 get a bye. And then teams, you know, like, like, uh, 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 you know, team uh, 17 through 32, they do like some type of like qualifying pool for the playoffs, but then the playoffs take like a month, you know, like, like that's optimally what I would have. Um, but given, you know, the limitations of logistics, I, I understand that it's probably best to keep this tournament and the Briar to, to merely one week. Fair. Fair point, Haji. I mean, I, I'm with you. I would like to see 1,000 round-robin curling games from January on, but I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, so... I, I think it, these it, I think these teams' employers uh, might have a little bit of a problem with that. <laughs> true. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. So, if you're going to do what what we, we think Curling Canada believes in, or at least they, they've publicly said they believe in, which is including everybody, including... The territories and some weaker provinces that had been relegated prior to this current system, I think it's a nice happy medium. Now, I have a friend in particular uh, who, who's actually, if, if not a bigger curling fan than me, admittedly somebody who's more knowledgeable about the curling world. I tell him secrets about the CFL and he tells me secrets about the curling world. And he hates... The fact that this is still a provincial system, he believes that our national t- our uh, mm-hmm. our national tournament should be uh, uh, a t- uh, probably a ten team tournament with no affiliation, just go best of the best of the best. Uh, similarly to what the Roar of the Rings is when uh, teams qualify for the Olympics, uh, I tend to disagree. Uh, I like that it's provincial. I like that the territories are there. It does suck sometimes when a really good team. Uh, doesn't get to compete, and we're going to see that at the Briar with uh, Botcher and Epping competing for a wild card spot. That said, uh, neither team won their province, and if you don't win a province, then uh, you know that that's on you. With all due respect, so yeah. I well, like the yeah. system. I think it's a nice balance between getting all the elite teams in and still representing the provincial system, which. While I, I, I can see how the argument can be made that it's outdated, frankly, I, I still enjoy it. And, and again, the cream still gets a chance to rise to the top. 
by the midway point of the week, which I think I think serves uh, again a nice balance between the two. Yeah, and I still don't really know where I fall on this. There's a lot of people who would talk on both sides of it, and I, I definitely see both sides of the argument when it comes to whether we should just send our best to this or if it should be the provincial system. And there's some, there's been some talk of two-tiering it, of where basically you would turn the Canada Cup into the qualifier for the Worlds and you just have the Scotties and the Briar for everyone else. I'm like, ah, I, definitely, I definitely don't like that. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is, frankly, long-term to this question, but it's one that will eventually, can, can, Curling Canada will have to address one way or the other and just kind of put the issue to bed and we'll have to live with it. But one thing this format has definitely done too is one of the best games of the week, I mean, is we've always know like the one two-page playoff game is generally the best game of the week because you, the top teams get that second chance, so they tend to be a little more aggressive and it's fun to watch. But that wildcard game on Friday night, it's really fun to watch too as these two teams fight just to get into the tournament because... Everything's on the line, and I just I remember during the Alberta Provincials, there was discussion about you know, Kevin Cooey. He's like, oh, he's not taking this seriously because he has the wild card game. And I'm like, really? You're going to put your entire Briar hopes into one game against John Epping rather than getting a free pass by beating all these other teams? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Come on. You're, you're absolutely right. And uh, and insider knowledge there for you, for you, Joel. One of the options considered strongly by Curling Canada was sending the Canada Cup winner. Yeah. Um, and, and that was actually something that was seriously on the table. And, and to, to talk to your point too, Haji, with your buddy that thinks we should just send our, our best teams. Well, we already do that. It, it is called the Canada Cup. It's it's just it's funny. That's just an event that hasn't really caught traction because to your casual fan, it's it's a vague championship, right? I mean, it's it's even though that I do think as a full week of curling, that is a better event than the Briar. But you're right. There's something there's traditional. I mean, like. When we all stepped on the ice for the first time, you thought about throwing that winning draw, you know, for for the Briar Championship, you know, being able to, to take your obscure curling club in northwestern Ontario, you know, to a notable thing because you're the guy that threw that last draw, which knowing me, I'd probably throw 12 feet light uh, and make my sweepers nearly die. <laughs> See, I never had that dream because I'm a front ender. So I was just like, I will sweep the rock to the button, but I'm not throwing it. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that are so definitively sure are light. See, that's why we'd make a great team here, here, Joel. <laughs> I know I'm going to be 10 feet light on that draw to the button, and you're going to have to go the whole way. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> uh, speaking, so, speaking, uh, speaking of the Briar, of course, boys, it is in beautiful Brandon, Manitoba. Um, we said we we're going to talk about this, but so I'm going to put you both on the spot. So you're going to have a moment to think about it because I'm actually going to come out with this first. Um, I, I think we should all pick the playoff teams. Oh, all four? Jeez, okay. <clears throat> no, just your your page playoff teams. Yeah, we'll yeah. Page, pick the four page playoff teams. Mm-hmm. I want to know who you think is going to win it and your Dark Horse team. All right, all right. Yep. Okay, yep. Give, you time, give you time to process, okay? Um, and of course, Joel, uh, we can back this up. We will back my winning pickup with a story here as well, too. Yes. Um, so I, I, I will let you tell the story after I make my winning pick because it is totally it, it is totally biased. Um, so again, citing ultimate bias. So my bias is guys I have drank beer with. I'm going to pick the four playoff teams. I'm going to go Manitoba. Northern Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. 
Wow. And sticking with the theme of teams I have teams or people I have drank beer with, I'm going to throw BC in as my dark horse team that I think can make a lot of noise at this thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think when you look at BC, um, I think they're coming out of as I just referred to it as the pool of intrigue. Um, I think their pool is generally weak. I think you have you know Gushu is going to be good out of Canada. Yep. You know, Alberta with Cooey is going to be good. Ontario is an unknown. Nova Scotia, the territories, New Brunswick, and Nunavut should be bingo cards for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a Jim Cotter, Steve Laycock back in. I think they're going to come into the championship pool with a strong record. You've got two guys. Let's not let's not forget Jim Cotter was oh so close to being the Olympic team a few years ago. Add Steve Laycock, who, by the way, I should also throw in a plug I'm going to contact Curling Canada. I can't think of the last time a curling club, my curling club, the Nutana in Saskatoon, sent seven curlers to the Briar. Team Saskatchewan's a full a handful of five. Steve Laycock on BC and Colton Flash in Alberta. This is starting now. People are starting to connect the dots. Who's John drank some beer with here? So I think BC is my dark horse. But ultimately, and I'm sorry Saskatchewan. I'm sorry Kirk Myers. I'm sorry Dallin Myers. I love you guys. I really do. You're going to make the final. But Manitoba is going to win a home provincial briar led by my very good friend, Colin Hodgson, sweeping Mike McEwen's final rock to the forefoot. <laughs> now, 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 jo- now, Joel, I feel like you should give a history on my bias pick and how it actually worked out before. Yes, so it was, I guess, a little over a year ago, uh, John and I were discussing the Olympic curling that was about to happen. And for reasons we don't really need to get into, John's not really a big fan of one Kevin Cooey. So he decided that he was going to uh, cheer for and for Mr. Schuster, the Olympics, based on the sole reason that he's enjoyed some beverages with Mr. Schuster over the years. Mr. Schuster and Matt Hamilton. Actually, Matt Hamilton, I feel like the good karma, he hooked Lacey and Max up with free tickets. I had a paid ticket all week at the Grand Slam of Curling at Lloydminster last year. And I was sitting there with Matt Hamilton in between games. We had had some beers the night before. And he's like in his raspy Matt Hamilton voice. Hey, uh, uh, your wife want to go? Yeah, she loves girls. Great. Uh, here's uh, tickets. I don't know if the boy needs them. So Matt Hamilton, <laughs> right there, drank beer with him twice that weekend. Gave my wife free tickets. Next thing you know, he's a gold medal champion. Yeah, so I mean, the beer method worked at the Olympics. At least on the men's and, side. So, I mean, it, 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 it's hard it, to argue. But you know what? It really is. I hadn't, the only person I've drank beers with in women's curling is Chelsea Carey. And you're probably. If Chelsea was there, she would have won. Yeah. And you're probably <laughs> the only so called curling expert on the planet that probably picked the United States to win gold medal at the Olympics. So. <laughs> hey, once in a while. Hey, you know what? Anybody that listens to the Three Down Greencast knows I get absolutely none of these hot takes right. But my hot take of a Manitoba Saskatchewan final at the Briar, it's got a chance. I literally was drinking a beer with Kirk and Dallin Myers last night. So, so I mean, if you know, if there's something to this, then I think every team in the country is going to have to start contacting you for beers. <laughs> hey, I'm fine with that. And the only reason Manitoba gets the nod is both the home advantage, and I got to say. Colin Hodgson and I uh, curled together in a fun spiel in Eiley, Alberta. God, this would have been even before he joined Reed Carruthers years ago. And Colin and I have been very, very, very good friends ever since. He has come to the house often. 
He has brought many bottles of rum to my house. He's bought many beers over the years. And, uh, yeah, so they get the slight nod over Kirk and Dallin, and it pains me to say it because, same thing, I have at times with Kirk and Dallin Myers at Hogfest in Anglefeld, Saskatchewan. Because the boys are from nearby, right? The boys are from Munster. My wife's from Anglefeld. So they have this annual homecoming event where they cook uh, enough pigs to feed about a thousand people. So there's these flame-roasted pigs. And this is after the boys had been to the briar. I re- remember I was literally standing by the bar beside Kirk and Dallin. And it was advantageous to me because not only did I get to sit there and drink beers with a couple guys I would consider friends of mine, but because you're a well-known curler in small-town Saskatchewan <laughs> at a large dance... I don't think I had a painted for a drink the whole night because Kirk and Dallin had so many beers bought for them and they weren't going crazy like I was. It was literally like, hey, yeah, thanks for the drink. Hey, Fraser, what's up? You know, it was it was that um, there's also been and the video has since been deleted. And this is why Northern Ontario is in there. Not only am I a Northern Ontario guy, but uh, one night, Grand Slam Curling in Lloydminster, uh, there was a karaoke night. At the bar, all the curlers, the hotel, all the curlers were staying at. So I met Colin Hodgson for a drink. And over my previous career, I had interviewed Brad Jacobs several times. Brad has always been super accommodating. Uh, He talked to me on the bus after winning the Olympic trials. I talked to him uh, shortly after winning at the Olympics. He's been nothing but accommodating. He was always great um, for just a small town media guy that that knew curling and loved curling. But uh, Brad and I, there is video someplace. Of us singing Wheatus's Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> Myself, Brad Jacobs, and my friend Mason's wife, or soon-to-be wife, Rianne, are sitting up at the top of this karaoke bar that is mostly filled with other curlers. And I'm singing the high part to Brad Jacobs, who's grasping his heart in his microphone, as though it was a very sensual moment. That is why Northern Ontario is going to make the playoffs. That's why, and plus, right. plus they're also a pretty good team. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that. I, there's that as well. I guess that's a fact of it. But, but it... <laughs> Colton Flash mixed double championship here in Saskatoon, and a couple of times when he was still curling with Steve Laycock. So that's why Alberta gets in. He's because of drinking with Colton, and uh, and, and Steve Laycock gets my dark horse pick because although I've never partied that hard with Steve. Uh, he is apparently, he is Hungarian. I am the per- permanent MC of the Hungarian Pavilion in Saskatoon at Folkfest. And uh, Steve and I have had a few shots, and I have advertised the fact that he might be the most famous Hungarian man in Saskatoon. <laughs> All right, so now that, uh, Grandpa, that Fra- now that Grandpa Fraser is done with story time... Uh... <laughs> uh, Haji, who do you got? I had to justify my picks! <laughs> I was going to say, my, uh, my favorite part of that was that John asked us a question and then answered it and then <laughs> dropped about a gazillion names. Which... He's like, this is, this is my moment, <laughs> damn it! Full, full credit. I have no names to drop, so hey, you may as drop them. Uh, my picks, I'm going to make this short and sweet. I'm picking Alberta. I'm picking Northern Ontario. I'm picking Canada. And I'm picking Team Wildcard. To make the doesn't matter to me if it's John Epping. Doesn't matter to me if it's Brendan Botcher. They're going to the playoffs. 
and my dark horse team and i i must apologize because i understand that you are friends with colin hodgson my dark horse team is team manitoba i understand they're provincially ranked uh pardon me uh, their their ctrs ranking is eight and i understand that they have won a great deal of games this year the reason they're my dark horse team is because the one time I, as a very proud Manitoban, got the opportunity to watch the new team Carruthers, which, you know, all of us in Manitoba were super excited to see after uh, several years of, of Mike McEwen and, and Reed Carruthers, you know, uh, trying to duke it out on the provincial scene for four years. Uh, the one time I got to see them was the Canada Cup, where they went 0-6 and uh, got absolutely destroyed in, in every game. <laughs> they got outscored 2-1. to That's that fair. Tournament. And so they are my dark horse team for that reason. As for eventual champions, this is Brad Jacobs here. I say he gets back on top. I like it. Brad Jacobs, yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, in the playoffs, I'm going to go... This is tough. There's so many teams you can pick. I'm going to go with Canada. I'm going to go with Manitoba. I'm going to go with Northern Ontario. And I'm going to go with John Epping out of the wild card. Ooh, I even calls the wild card shot. I like it, Joel. I like that. I like John Epstein. I don't know what happened to him in Ontario, but I mean that's weird, and he's probably going to do much better than Scott McDonald does. No offense to him or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, some there's going to be bad team. There's going to be a good team that missed the playoffs, and I think uh, you know, new team, different changes. You know, maybe it's not quite Kevin Cooey's week again. So I think that. Um, I'm going to go off the board a little bit for my Dark Horse team just because every now and then he has that week that goes well and Kerry Galusha played pretty well. So I'm going to go with Jamie Cooey in the Northwest Territories. Ooh, I like it. Maybe they, they, they don't make the playoffs probably, but you know what? They might have one of those weeks where they compete and they're pro- I'm going to say they're going to play in the championship round this year. And, and you know what, Joel? He has a, a new-look team as well. He's got younger. He's got a little bit more athletic in front of him. So um, I, I would agree. I, I, like, I like your take on that one. I will not, I will not dispute it. Had you said Nunavut, where the entire lineup is older than my dad? <laughs> no. I, I mean, they, they won, they, the, the women's team won a game, and that was great. But uh, no, looking at them here, no. Uh, eventual champion, as much as I would love to see Gushu do the three-peat, um, I'm, I'm going to go with you, Fraser. I think Mike McEwen gets over the hump at home. There's been so many big moment chokes for him, kind of like Gushu over the years, that it it kind of feels like it's time for him now that he's you know he's got a different team around him, and it's it's probably I think it's just going to work out for him, and it's going to be it's going to be one of those moments like we tend to see, not quite to the same level that we saw in St. John's a couple years ago when Brad Gushu finally won, and everyone was going nuts because. I mean, he's like a he's a rock star in Newfoundland, right? So <laughs> rock star. I, I didn't. I paused for the pun. I didn't really mean to because I didn't quite mean the pun. But um, <laughs> you know, he he been it's been so long and so many struggles for him to finally get over that hump and being able to do it at home was pretty cool. So I think it's gonna be yeah. I think he's gonna. I do think Mike McEwen will beat Brad Gushu in the final. That's my pick. I like I like it. I definitely like it. Mostly because. You know, you agree with me, and the beer drinking philosophy has never led me astray. <laughs> no, and that's that's another reason why, at the end of the day, I had to uh, pick Mike McEwen. So, I guess that pretty much wraps up uh, the uh, first of hopefully many to come of the first annual Eight and Nation podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.